Guess what? We've just started our very own Catching Up With Cub community and we want you to be part of it. Head to cub.club forward slash podcast and subscribe today to receive a weekly email with exclusive content from every episode. Have the ability to speak directly with our Catching Up With Cub team to help us build the best show possible and receive invites to special events where you'll meet and hear from our guests along with other incredible business owners. Head to cub.club forward slash podcast now and join the community. Hello, Ledgers. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, we catch up with Cub member Rick Williams, the founder and CEO of Platform 24. With data breaches and tech security being the big issue of the day, Rick gave me and us a full rundown on everything we need to know about how to protect our businesses, our data, and our teams. Rick is an incredible guy. He was actually an English teacher, turned IT entrepreneur, and has built a fantastic business with a very unique culture and brand, particularly for an IT company, and all the information he shares on how to protect our businesses from tech threats is essential, especially in today's world. Enjoy the show. Would have thought IT security is going to become like the new hot, sexy topic of the day. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty unusual. I mean, it's probably a good thing. I mean, I always think everything happens for a reason. And yeah, it's probably not great that uh, there's been these big security breaches with Optus and wh- whatever other big companies there are out there. But it, it, I mean, as a as a SME, as a small business owner, you should probably be taking well i mean it could work two ways either you're going to be like shit i need secure i need to secure my business or well is there any point in me securing my business because optus got hacked and you know they're obviously paying some top top security <laughs> go one or two ways yep. so um so thank you for coming in and and um, obviously that's that's what we want to talk about today rick why don't you give us a bit of introduction to to your business because as far as um um it businesses go I reckon you got one of the coolest. Your marketing's <laughs> awesome. Your you, 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 you vibe, the team. It, it, it's just a very special IT business. I just love a, a bit of an introduction for the for the audience. Sure. Um, well, I, I guess um, in terms of what we do, we're a managed service provider. Uh, so it's a one stop shop uh, for our clients. Um, we look at end to end support, security, um, backup, all of the regular services that you'd expect from a um, from an IT service provider. But what we try and do differently is uh, have a bit of personality, um, have a little bit of uh, a bit of fun, a bit of humour. I mean, I, I guess that comes with working with Virgin for so many years. Um, you know that irreverence. Um, and when we did a, a rebrand, probably uh, about four or five years ago, we decided that we wanted to use a tagline: "Doing IT different." And that was more about not necessarily the nuts and bolts of how we manage the security stuff, but in terms of engagement with our clients, the way that we present ourselves as, uh, as people who, who don't take ourselves too seriously, but who take our business seriously. And I guess that's the core of what we try and achieve with the yeah, marketing. But the, I get that vibe. And I've never got that vibe from an IT company before. We, 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 even like your... Um, uh, I want to get back to the Virgin thing as well, but e- even your like LinkedIn, like on your Cub app, your profile is like a cartoon version of you. Well, what's that all about? Well, we made a, uh, a strategic decision that we wanted to um, uh, do our marketing in a different way. So um, I've got a very good friend who who does animations, um, and we started sitting down and talking about how we could um, leverage that um, within our business to. Um, to engage a certain type of client because in the end, we're all in business, right? We want to work with people that we enjoy the company of and that that we can um, engage with and what better way to kind of find that connection point in terms of humour and uh, um, sort of fun. So the characters came about. We used um, the caricature heads in all our marketing materials. One, to a certain extent, to protect our... Uh, our staff. We don't necessarily want their pictures floating around if they're not happy with them. So we create a character. What, 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 what do you mean by protect your staff with their pictures? Wouldn't they have their pictures on LinkedIn and things like that? Um, yes, but they can choose to use the, the caricatures and, and that should be their choice, not my choice, right? 
And um, but, but how is that risky to have your picture up on LinkedIn? This is probably something you know as a security person. Yeah. But for people like me, yeah. I want my picture everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you do. Look, I mean, in and of itself, there's no there's no problem having your picture up. But some people um, want that privacy. They don't necessarily want, um, you know, those pictures out there. So yes, we all have profile pictures. Um, I choose to to use the the the, uh, the caricature. I think it's um, it's a bit of fun, and it, and as you said, it's a point of difference. Um, but as we develop that marketing strategy around um, using the animations, we 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 decided that we'd use those in the animations as the as the faces. And so now the eyes move and the mouths move and the, we put silly hats on and silly glasses on. And um, I just think it's a very um, effective way of, of putting across complicated information um, in a way that people engage with. And we know that works because the engagement with those animations is by far and away the best yeah. engagement we have on well, social. Well, I can tell you it works because I, like, I didn't forget that. I didn't forget that that like I've seen that on the Cub app and I and I remember it. I, I never I never forget it. And and I it's just it, what I think you've done so interesting is that you've looked at your industry and you've said, okay, well, how are we going to stand out? What are we going to do different? And and by by showing by having the outwards image of being different, like your marketing being different with with everything you're doing, it probably it shows that you're an innovative company, which then uh, from the consumer point of view, you know, someone like me would probably be like, well, I want to be with the clever guys. If I'm going to have security, I want to go to the clever people who do security who, who also, they're probably nice people to talk to as well. Cause they look quite welcoming. They're quite funny. Like you're saying shows a bit of character personality. And that's something that all businesses can do. You know, how is my, how does my industry portray itself? Mm. How can I be different? Um, well, I think when we were doing the research around our website and around that, we, we looked at a lot of um, MSP, managed service provider websites. And um, most of them have got exceptionally good information um, and they're well constructed, but they're all very similar. Um, and um, and as you say, we just wanted to do something a little bit different um, that, that fit with the, uh, the character of our team. Um, and also it, it sort of leveled up that engagement from our staff as well because their faces were in our marketing materials and they all thought it was fun and they were showing their friends and family. So um, I think from that point of view, it's been a really effective way of uh, retaining staff as well just because there's that higher level of engagement. So And tell me, do, do you have a IT security background or where did you start your career? Well, no, funnily enough, my, um, my career started uh, in teaching, certainly in Australia. Um, uh, I was an English teacher, I taught English to foreign students. Um, and, and I guess that's been really, really useful um, as my career journey has, has developed. Um, and largely that's because I don't really ever have a problem um, engaging, with, um, engaging with people and, and talking to them. Um, on whatever level is is required, whether it's highly technical or um, at a much more, um, you know, layman's terms level. Um, but also, you know, one of our key uh, cornerstones of the business is to try to, to give an educational component. So we don't want to keep fixing the same problems over and over again. So if we start to see patterns around um, staff or issues across a business, um, we'll try and get to the point where we say, okay, well, look, we, we've identified this as an issue that's happening over and over again. Let's find the baseline fix and then let's train the users how to avoid this or how to manage this themselves. Because what we're about is trying to give business business continu continuity um, and, you know, extra productivity. And if people are happy with their technology, then they're going to work harder. Yeah, but what I love about that is that it's just so funny how everything happens for a reason. Like, it just depends on if the person has the right view on the world. Because, like, you know, you're an English teacher and now you own a very successful IT security company. What the fuck do they have in common? <laughs> but you know, because you're an English teacher, you've, you've got this educational – you've got this uh, learning mindset and educational view on, on, on your business and, and the world. And so, I mean, first of all, no one knows anything about IT security. I know a lot of – uh, other than you and IT security people, people like me, we know nothing about it. I can guarantee it. And and, and being able to 
be to learn that from the professionals and be taught it in a way that's actually a bit entertaining or you know a bit understandable mm. is probably really important in your industry. But it reminds me of like all these people. Like I heard a story about, uh, or I learned something about Harry Triggerboff the other day. He was actually born in China, and okay. in China they were building tons of units. Back, they were overpopulated back then as well. And when he came to Australia, we weren't building units. It wasn't a thing. And he, so when he got here, he knew he called it vertical living. Mm. And so it was this random life experience that he's had living, being born in China that he knew, okay, well, things are going to go up. Yeah. And he did, you know what I mean? And, and like, you're a teacher. And, well, I'm in IT uh, security now. I'm taking that teaching component and and that that ability to communicate well, which is translated through your marketing, through through probably your team and, and management of your team, and and you probably like it gets. I get the sense you got a fun working environment. And yeah, we we absolutely try our best uh, to have that. Um, our team's split between here in Australia and, and the Philippines, um, and we've got an office in, in Clark in uh, just outside Manila. How many people are you? Uh, around about twenty. Okay, um, and so. Um, you know, we've made a, a really conscious effort to include um, everyone in the team. So we, um, during COVID, we, we often had Friday drinks and that was all the team in, um, you know, and we had games, um, you know, obviously online games. We could all play together at the end of a busy week. And, you know, that really um, helped to, to bring the team together. And, and so they're very um, coherent um, and they work really, really well together. And so we, we definitely feel like this, we have one team, mm-hmm. um, you know, which which I think is really important, um, particularly if you're, you know, um, in, in the IT world because a lot of people um, have specialities um, in what they do within a business, but they often need to work together. So mm-hmm. you need to have that level of engagement and communication within the team to make sure that you get the best outcomes for your clients. And talk to me about um, this Optus thing. So I know a lot of people care a lot about it. Mm-hmm. I personally didn't know what the fuck was going on. I, I had no, it, it didn't bother me. But a lot of people were up in arms about it. What actually happened? How can a company like that even get hacked, first of all? Like, how good are these hackers? They're, they're hacking Optus. Um, what does that mean for the rest of us? Um, you know, it's a big, it just opens up a big box of questions, I guess. Look, I think <clears throat> fundamentally what you have to understand is that this is not someone sitting in their garage just having fun. And, and targeting someone and going, okay, we'll just go for those guys. This is organised criminal activity and most likely government-backed, right? So From other governments? Yes. So It'd be what, pretty suspect if it was the Australian yeah. government. <laughs> oh, look, I'm sure they've got their, uh, their fingers in pies as in well. Things. You know, it, it's the, the new frontier of, of, uh, of global p- competitiveness. You look what's going on in, in the Euro- Ukraine. There's a lot of cyber going on around that. Um, so I guess, um, the, the big issue is, um, PII, you'll hear talk about PII, personal identifiable information. And, and as we become more mature in, um, the, the IT world and in the cyber market, particularly, um, what people and businesses are becoming more and more concerned about is protecting, uh, the, the personally identifiable information of their clients, their suppliers, uh, their staff. Um, and the reason for that is because all of that information has a value on the dark web. Um, so, for example, if you have 100 points of uh, identif- identification, as we, you know, as we measure it in, in Australia, you know, a passport, um, a driving license, a Medicaid card, that'll get you over the line, um, you can order a credit card. And you can start buying stuff with that credit card. So it's a financial uh, business, right? And I think this is what a lot of people don't kind of quite get. This is a big business, multi-billion dollar global business. And the people who are doing it are not doing it for fun. They're not doing it to prove that they can do it. Um, They're doing it because there is a huge amount of money to be made and what we actually hear about in the media is a tiny fraction of actually what's happening. So we've heard about Optus. There's been a Telstra breach. There was a Toyota breach. Um, I think today Energy Australia announced a breach. So there's been an awful lot recently. Um, and <laughs> they're just the tip of the iceberg. 
about 68% of all breaches are in the SME market. And the biggest problem there is most of those uh, players in the SME market will just pay the ransom and think that's what is the best solution. Is that what happens? They, got, they, they pay us this and we'll give you back your information or whatever it is. Yeah, and I guess it's there's a lot of ways that happens now and it's becoming more and more sophisticated. Um, the first ransomware um, attacks probably, you know, seven or eight years ago now, um, they were... Um, the hack got into your network, encrypted all your data, so you couldn't access any of your files. Um, and then you got this message saying, we've encrypted your data. Uh, we'll sell you the decryption key uh, for 5 Bitcoin, 10 Bitcoin. Now, back in the day, Bitcoin was $800 or something, you know, for one Bitcoin. Um, oh, so they're using Bitcoin now. Always Governments Bitcoin. can't Yeah, because it trace can't be traced. It. That's the uh, problem with that shit. Exactly. So... Um, so that, that was what happened. And, and so sometimes if you paid that Bitcoin, you might get the encryption key. The data was unencrypted. You did what was necessary to lock it down and you're clear. But, but these days they become much more sophisticated. So it's much more likely that what's going to happen is that um, someone will get into your network, will just sit stealthily in your network for one, two months, collecting data, trying to get access, creeping through the network. And really what they're looking for is access to financial records, um, you know, uh, email, account, uh, email addresses such as accounts and things like that. Can, can I ask a stupid question? When you say access your network, what does that mean? Um, like what are they accessing? My internet? My Your what? email is probably the most likely So, uh, so they, would f- they would find my password and mm-hmm. sign in to, to, to your email. And the interesting thing about passwords um, is most people will use the same password or a variation of a password over and over and over again, right? Um, you know, password one, password one, two, three, password one, two, three star, right? And they'll just recycle those same words uh, numbers over and over again, and they'll use them for business and they'll use them for personal. So the big risk is um, your personal account gets. So you've got a Gmail, you're just using it for you know fun, subscribing to whatever it might be. That password gets hacked. So then the uh, the cyber criminals will say, okay, well we've got this password. Let's check where this person works. Let's have a look. Go on LinkedIn. They check where this person works, and they go, oh, they work for Deloitte. How interesting is that? Or whoever it might be, Telstra, Optus. Um, And they'll go, okay, well, let's see if we can use this password to get into any of their stuff. We've got a good, we know what the person's name is. We know what the domain is. We've got a pretty good idea about um, how they structure their email addresses. And now we have a password that we can try. So that's how it happens. And, And, okay, you might have the same passwords for everything. Just coming up with a part, like find, you can't guess someone's password. Like I'm not going to look at Laura and be like, yeah, her part, password looks like it would be Laura Germany one two three. You could you could probably if if yeah. you if you're doing that. So all how day, do you every get day. that part? How do you get how do they get the first password? Um, well, because people send passwords and people people send passwords in emails, which is by default insecure, right? It needs to be locked down to do it. Um, People use passwords on websites that are not secure, you know, maybe shopping sites or maybe just entertainment sites or for Netflix or for this. And and they and once that password's out in the wild, it's there. It's it's on the dark web. It's available and it's it's on a list. So it's very very important to have very different passwords. Absolutely. I think if there's one thing to take away from this podcast for just that. For, for everyone, it is. If you've got a password that you've been using for a long time or a, one that you variation, you know, using a, a variant of the same password for a long time, change it. Don't use the same passwords for business as for your home. If you're doing fun stuff, just get a Gmail account or, a, or an Outlook account and just use it for that. Don't cross over between work and, and home. And, and with, with work passwords, they should be randomized. So they shouldn't be words. For a start, um, they should yeah, be randomized. Yeah, we have that. It's so annoying though, because then you got to remember X, Y, ten, blah, 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 blah. You, you these thirty-letter passwords, and well, the trend is now moving more towards single sign-on. So basically, getting to the point where, first of all, you have a secure password vault on, in the cloud, um, which you know you lock down with high uh, high um, encryption and 
multi-factor authentication. You make sure that that's very secure. And then single sign-on allows you to use your username and password without ever having to put in a password. Um, now, the benefit of that is that you avoid that risk of key logging. So somewhere someone is sort of just what you know able to to view what you're actually tapping on your keyboard so so that's a big mitigation just there and um so what actually happened with optus then it, it, it's a bit unfair isn't it that optus gets all this slack like everyone's like oh optus is so insecure but i like you just mentioned a bunch of companies that had been I actually feel that bad for optus right now mm. But but what did happen? Well, look, the actual events are are, um, are, are still not clear. But the likelihood is that um, an Optus employee or someone connected with Optus, um, you know, probably had um, an insecure password, and that got, you know, got got. Uh, so they got, got one of the employees, caught, and then somehow and then just they just stayed and hung the around. And- yeah. Because I was saying earlier on, that that's the trend now is to is to get into the network and get as much data as possible, and then contact the the company and say, "Hey, we've got your data," um, which is what happened with Optus. Here's a selection of the data that we've got to prove that we've got it, and we're not going to encrypt it. We're not going to stop your business, but we're going to sell it. So if you don't want us to sell it, then you have to pay us. Now, of course, there's a massive risk there because they're criminals, right? And they still <laughs> so, have it. So they still got your data. Mm-hmm. So you pay, and then what happens? They call you two or three weeks later and say, hey, we've still got yeah, your that data. That wasn't a one-time payment. It was yeah, a monthly yeah. thing. This is, yeah, this it's a monthly is contract we've yeah, got. Yeah. <laughs> we've got an agreement now. So, uh, um, it's scary, the digital world. Yeah. So, you know, the, the best thing you can do is obviously do the absolute best you can in terms of um, cybersecurity protection, um, you know, get the best tools. Um, and, you know, obviously use an MSP is a great idea because, you know, obviously from our point of view, we're looking at, um, we're looking at innovation and we're thinking about what's uh, best practice and what's out there, uh, what's coming. Uh, and we're always looking around the corner in terms of the next threat, uh, working with big partners who, you know, who are constantly working in this space. Um, so, there's only so much you can do in terms of prevention. So then the next step is that you have to have policies and controls in place internally so that everyone within your business understands what their responsibility is around the data. Um, you need to do training for your people. That's the next step. So, so that they uh, can learn. So we do security awareness training for our, for our clients every month. And what do you teach them? Well, what we might do is a phishing uh, email. So something that looks totally authentic, um, you know, from maybe from us. We might send out an email which is a potentially from, looks like it's coming from us, but it's not. But it is, if you know what I mean. Um, and it, it will um, in, in, induce that user to click on a link or put in their password or change a password. Um, and, and through that whole process, we can track who does what and why and and if they get to a certain stage in that process, it will then trigger them to, to go to an online training video um, or, a, or a PowerPoint uh, slideshow or well, a, some kind of training. traps for people to see their sta- which staff members is <laughs> silly enough to follow it. It's, yeah, that is a good way to, it's like a that. good way to weed out the weaklings. What's the weakest link in the chain? Well, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see who's <laughs> stupid enough to click this thing. <laughs> That's a, it's, a, it's, it's not the way that we look yeah, at it, Daniel. But nonetheless, it's yeah, funny. You know, it is. It is. But look, you know, the important thing is that um, that it's it's around um, education. We come back to that point. It's about educating your your staff so that they can be better, so that they can uh, avoid being that person that makes a mistake. We can all make mistakes, right? We've all done it. We've all clicked on links, um, you know. But um, learning. Um, Learning from those mistakes is really important. And these days, continuous education in that space is a given. The next step on from that is, certainly from our point of view as a business, we do um, we do um, sort of seminars and sort of lunch and learns around best practice. We do we go and see our clients and talk to them about how, you know what they should be looking out for and how what's the next thing coming in in the cyber space. Um, have you ever um, hosted like a cub one for the other members, like a cybersecurity? I have. Um, that was sort of during 
COVID. Um, and, and during the, lockdown? Yeah, during lockdown. And the interesting thing about it was most of the people that turned up were IT professionals. Really? Yeah. So in terms of engagement with the greater Cub community, I don't think it was front and centre. It wasn't really big news. Yeah, because that's what I'm saying. It, it's not sexy. Yeah. You know, but now it is. Yeah. We should probably organise one because it's just the topic that everybody's talking about. Yeah. Really, we should be more Cub, should probably be a bit more front of foot and like getting that out there because that, that people need to... People need to think about that. Look, there's a lot you can do, uh, and I think education for me is an absolute key. As we've, this has been a bit of a theme throughout this podcast. But you know, the reality is that you don't know what you don't know, uh, and we're we're not all experts in everyone else's field. You know, um, I use marketing people because they're great at marketing. Um, you know, I look at what's out there and I sort of think that might be a great idea, but I'm not putting putting that together. Um, you know, in terms of in terms of cyber, we're dealing with this every single day. Um, you know, and we're trying to put um, as many hurdles in front of these attacks. players and attacks um, as we possibly can. However, you're talking about government-sponsored attacks. FBI's been hacked in the past, right? So, you know, people That's who spend thing. multi-million dollars on on prevention. So. You should be looking at that 100%. You should be putting um, resources into that. But the equally important is the training, the policy, and and then what you do when it happens. Not if, because it will happen, um, whether it's a big breach or a small breach. They, it will happen. Um, it's just what is your response at that point? And every business should have a plan. Well, well, I mean, what would your response be? It's out of curiosity. It really depends a little bit on your um, on your profile. So, um, as I said, we've been doing a lot of work in that ISO space, and, and the requirements there are fairly high. What do you mean ISO? Um, ISO twenty seven double oh one is like the management of <laughs> confuse me even more data. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's an industry standard um, around um, data control and um, and access and and um, particularly. So in relation to your response, you have to have um, a data breach plan. So if a, if a breach happens, what's your response? So, for example, if you've got cyber security, uh, cyber, um, cyber insurance, it's really important that you understand that policy. What does it mean, right? So, for example, our policy, our cyber policy says we have to um, notify them within 24 hours of a breach. Notify the insurer? Yes, Insurance is the first people you notify because if you get a breach, you want to get paid, right? And and why do you need sorry? Why do you need uh, an insurer? Because if you have to, uh, if you get extorted and you have to pay, the insurer pays it. Yes. So you need cyber insurance now, cyber security insurance. Now. Yep, cyber insurance. So what it will cover for you is that an end-to-end solution. So it'll cover um, if you have to end up paying a ransom. It may cover that. It may say we don't pay ransoms. Okay, but which is fair enough, right? Um, But what it will cover is your remediation costs. Um, It will cover your PR if you need to go to the press and explain what's happened. Um, It'll cover your legal costs if you have to, you know, if it goes down. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, so cyber is a really big deal. So one of the things that we now offer with our clients, and I insist on pretty much, is we need to see your cyber policy. I need to understand what the terms and conditions of your cyber policy are, at least in a broad scope. I don't you mean your security cyber. Sorry, your your, your cyber insurance, insurance policy. Yeah. yeah, okay. So I need to see that so that I can then give you good advice around your response. Um, and so that's something that's becoming increasingly common, um, and it's something that we then build into our uh, response around cyber. So. You know, that might look like, so we have um, an external team that look after our business's cyber uh, response, um, and that's a global team, 170 security specialists. Um, and effectively, if, if we have a breach, they immediately jump into action and start work. Um, so, and they could, they'll lock down and they'll, um, you know, prevent the spread of the breach. Um, and then they'll start looking at, you know, the forensics, so logging, looking at how the breach happened, where it happened, how to remediate it, what tools, you know, what failed and why and, and how it goes forward. So um, it's all of those things. Just out of curiosity, I would assume that majority of 
SMEs don't have um, a cybersecurity company. They're currently not employing a cybersecurity mm-hmm. company. When you guys speak to to businesses, mm-hmm. what are their responses? What 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 are what are the things that are preventing businesses from employing cyber people like yourself? Uh, a lot of businesses that haven't actually had a breach or been hacked don't see the need because they don't think they're a, a risk, right? It's particularly SMEs. Um, SMEs believe that they're a very small target and not worth the trouble of a, of a, of a hacker. But what they don't understand, you know, is almost 70% of all breaches happen to SMEs. And, and the reason they have happened to SMEs is because they don't necessarily have the levels of protection that big business has and they don't take it seriously. Um, so that's, yeah, that's probably the, the main. So thing. the main thing that's happening in the, in the industry in terms of sales preventing people is that people saying, well, I haven't been hacked yet, so I, I, I don't need it. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And, and it, but it, it, can, it, can you sense that it's people are more interested in having it as of late or in recent years than, than previously, or it's the same? There's no question that it has become flavour of the month, and particularly because at the moment we're going through a, a lot of reportable breaches with big, well-known household companies. So I think that makes everyone feel a little bit nervous about where they're at. Um, and, and certainly from our point of view, we're having a lot more conversations around cybersecurity. Um, you know, we, we're a managed service provider, so we, we, su- we supply support to our clients, we do a stack of software and it's a per user per month kind of arrangement. Cybersecurity is a separate thing um, that we consult on, but we use, um, you know, we use third parties to, to do penetration testing, to do um, testing of websites, to make sure the security is up to speed on that. Um, we arrange all of that and we organise all of that. We, we obviously can do the remediation if there is an attack, but also we give our clients the opportunity to work with you know, MSSPs, uh, managed security partners, um, to, to really go down that forensic route, which is very specialised work and, and sometimes is really required. So. Okay, and, but so you guys don't just do cyber security or, or no. IT security. You do managed services, so you do printing our core services. Business, yeah, our core business is managed services, but of course now because um, cyber is is critical to, to business, you know, it's really important we those conversations are becoming much, much more common um, and particularly coming out of COVID because I think everyone during COVID uh, was at that stage where they went, well, let's just work from home. It'll be fine. And now everyone's doing that, right? A lot of people are working from home or working from anywhere. Um, and the, the idea was let's just get it done now because we need to keep business moving and we need that continuity. But now as we're coming, we've come out of that and that, you know, working from home is becoming a very common common thing. You see lots of jobs advertised, you know, work from home. Um, businesses are now realising the risk and and starting to think, okay, well, how do we mitigate that risk? What's our, what's our policy around this? And at, just on the topic of work from home, how are you managing your team at the moment? Do you, are you, um, um, uh, are, are you, do you guys do work from home? Do you do work from office? Uh, how do you like to run your company? So we've got a couple of offices. We've got a, an office in St. Peter's. Um, we've got an office um, in Clark, just out Man- outside Manila. Um, we communicate through Microsoft Teams, um, through phones and, and chat. So our internal com- comms are always in inside Teams. Um, and, yeah, we... Um, but how are you handling? So do you, do you do work from home? Does your team work from home, or yep. do you like, or do they half and half? So, so they can choose. We have schedules. Well, first thing is all of our team are on four day weeks, so we we changed. Wow, that the you're the second the person we've had do four day week. Yeah, flips yeah. me out that. Yeah, well, really? we did it. We started at the beginning <laughs> of this year. Um, and How's so that going for you? <laughs> uh, look, there's no doubt that it's. It's been. Uh, it's a little bit more expensive because obviously you've got to cover the time still. Do you pay them the same? Well, they do the same number of hours. So they do four longer days. Oh, that's interesting. So we do four longer days and we've got two two shifts, a Monday through Thursday and a Tuesday through Friday shift. Um, and So that way the, comp- the, the, sorry, the customers don't feel the, uh, the day. That's right. Yeah. Well, there's, there's no change. The, the teams are in pods, so there's always, you know, a senior, uh, a level two and, and a junior uh, available on on each of the days, so because um. that can be a problem, we we were doing work with um, actually another member who did great work for us, but 
they didn't work on Mondays. They did a four-day week, Tuesday to Friday. And I work on Monday. And, like, yeah. I'd email them. <laughs> and then I'd be like, I like people responding to me quickly. And I was never get, I wouldn't get a response. And then I'd realize, oh, shit, they're not working. Yeah. You know I mean? And that annoyed me. Yeah. Did a great job for us, all that. But I'm just saying, in this, like, I, I like the idea of, okay, well, if you are going to have that four-day work week, don't your customers shouldn't have to suffer from the four-day work week. Yeah, exactly right. And look, and I think it's been a it's been a great success in our business because um, the team, um, you know, they work longer hours on the days where they, they work. We start at seven and we through to six, so it's it's a long day. Um, and they prefer that. They get they come round to it. <laughs> Look, they prefer it in the sense that um, they've got flexibility. Um, they have a long weekend every weekend, so you know those those days when you're working your regular week. You know you want to go to the dentist or you want to get your hair cut or and you don't always get the time. You end up spending your weekend doing stuff that you really don't want to be doing at the weekend. Well, I think it's given um, the team the opportunity to have a bit more personal life. And, and and we saw that as a real strategic advantage in our industry in terms of retaining talent, um, because obviously every every business in Australia is suffering with you know that recruitment burn at the moment. So um, you know our, our response to that was well let's keep the guys that we know are doing a great job um, and let's find a way to make that um, work. Um, but in terms of working from home, they basically work at home two days and in the office two days and we rota- rotate the team. So there's always someone in the office. There's always a number of people in the office ready for on-sites or whatever. But yeah. yeah. I, 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 so I love the, um, I love what COVID did in terms of the innovation towards working environment. I love the fact that you can be like, hey, we're going to have a four-day work week. We're going to work longer hours on the days of work. So it's going to be the same amount of time, but we get a three-day week and a three-day weekend and, and that you're able to do that now. You know, or that, it, I mean, that's just one. Op- There's so many different, like, I've speak so so many members have so many different styles that, that, that they're running it mm. now. I personally like the original. But but um, but I love the fact that there's so much innovation that, and that people can use that um, as strategic advantages for their industry. You know, it, whatever works for your industry for stuff. Cause I, but what happens if there's a, what happens if a staff member says, hey, I don't want to work from seven to six? Yeah, I want to just do five day normal work week, and if I want a long weekend, I'll just take leave that day. What but, if, What if they want that? Yeah, well, we have got a, a, a particular staff member who um, who who was having some health issues and was finding it very difficult to do those longer days. So I said to him, "Would you prefer doing shorter days and starting later in the day? So start at ten o'clock um, and just do the five days." And he said, "Yeah, that'd be great." So but we then did that. But then wouldn't you be working less hours? Same hours. Same number of hours, we just spread it over the five days. So I think, you know, in, 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 the, in the situation we find ourselves in business these days, you have to be flexible. You have to be agile and you have to be prepared to change. And IT is all about change. It's all about managing change and all about uh, mitigating your risk. And so for us, the big risk is, is losing good stuff, right? Yeah. So you have to find a way to address that. And it's not always a simple one size fits all. So you have to be prepared as a business owner to to be adaptable. Yep. Yeah, I agree that that but it also goes against everything in my nature too because because like for example, Cub well, I mean, I go on rants about that we're not flexible, which I don't think we are. I think we fucking do what we're supposed to do. But and we've never lost we don't we haven't lose it we don't lose anyone. We hire people we, I hired someone, I was in Abu Dhabi on the weekend, like I just said, I hired someone from Abu Dhabi. And one of the things they said in their contract, in the contract was, oh, could I have, um, you know, I'd like to have one or two day flexible work. And I straight up just replied, we don't do that. Right. Stop. Mm-hmm. And they still wanted to join the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think business owners should be too bending to, um, to, to talent. I think business needs to be fucking great. Mm. If you run a great business and your business is doing good and you are a leader where you're, where people are like, shit, I want to back that. I, I want to work with that team. That's a great team. That's a great leader. I'm going to have great opportunities. I believe, and again, I'm, this is me appealing to, to like cub people, but, but I believe that that's the most important thing because when you bend too much to, 
when you go to tech, which look how it's working out for all of them. They're all fucking stock prices collapsing. Mm. They're all firing people. There's a big freeze on tech company hiring now. Mm. They're, you know, they're, that's all happening. And watch what happens next year with a recession. I believe that happened because they went too much leaning towards people. Oh, you know, you get all this for free and you can do this <laughs> and you and everyone stops working and the companies just implode. Yeah. Now, I think there needs to be a balance. And I, I, re, I obviously, I'm pro-business always, particularly pro-owner of business, pro-entrepreneur. Mm. But I think that the the work of the entrepreneur has to be respected and and doing great great entrepreneurship attracts great talent. And I think uh, um, what you're doing is great entrepreneurship. It's not leaning too far. You know, it's saying, no, no, this is a strategic choice we want to do. We like how this works for our company in our industry and we think this is going to be good for the, for the business. But I just think that that's a line. It's a slippery slope. You know, it's a slippery slope uh, that businesses yeah, need Yeah, what to, next, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and if you let, like, in life, if you let someone pick on you once, mm. if, if someone jabs you and you don't hit them back, they're, they're going to they're going to give you a big left hook next, <laughs> you know? And so you, there's a slippery line. You've got to have a, you got to have a firm rule. These are the rules. You, th- this is how we play ball. And then I also think too, I, I know I'm going on a rant about not um, cyber and IT, but I think it's pretty relevant for today. The other thing that I, I think is important is that if someone is working with you and they've been with you a long time, that's different to a new person because mm. you don't trust a new person. They're new. Yep. I haven't tr- how can I trust you? You haven't given me any reason to trust you yet. Mm. But someone like Laura, for example, been with Cub forever. She was working from Germany last week. Mm. Yeah, but they, you earn that right. You've yep. been in the company so long. I know you're going to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. And even if you're not, you've done so many years of great stuff anyway or whatever. You know, I just think there's, it's not, you've got to kind of, do you know where I'm going? Build that trust. Yes. Look, and I think that's that's definitely true. And, and I think that's that's the challenge for every business owner, right? is getting good staff, retaining them, Trusting, building the trust. relationship, building the trust, um, and then you can move forward. Um, but, but part of that is, you know, it's a bit of carrot and stick, right? That's what you're talking about. We, you know, we, we give them the opportunity, we give our staff the opportunity to, um, to have flexibility, but the expectation is, particularly in IT, and, and most IT people will, will say this and know this, um, you know, if, if there's a priority one all-hands-on-deck outage, they will be there. They will be there. They'll be there. Yeah. And they'll come in on the weekend or come in on Friday night, you know, from the pub if necessary, because there's something that really needs to be done and they've got the skill set to do it. So I think it works both ways. Um, it's trust and it's respect. And, and, and if you get that balance, then you're doing a good job as a business owner. Yeah, it's, it's that balance. And I think trust is is the, the trust and respect. That's what my nana used to say about getting married. Trust and respect, but that's not even her accent. I don't know what I'm doing, um, but but um, it's crucial. And see, your industry, you, you, your team needs to be ready and available for emergency. Mm-hmm. And if you trust that they are going to be ready and available for emergency, then they need to trust that you're going to also uh, do the right thing by them. Back them up, in, yeah. In that's terms it. of work, in terms of life. Yep. You know, and and that is a nice balance. Yep. And. Tell me about you. So, um, um, have you always been an entrepreneurial person, or or had, what, what made you start a business? Look, I think um, I I sort of uh, I was teaching. So, really, in terms of my IT uh, career, um, I was I was teaching at a language school here here in Sydney. Um, um, I was working with a guy who was your archetypal nerdy guy who was just a brilliant IT guy um, but he suffered from chronic fatigue and so he was great in the morning but rubbish in the afternoon and so we started sharing a job share so um, I would sort of look after the IT stuff in the afternoon I had an interest um, and um, you know and 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 teach in the morning and, and vice versa um, and I did that for a, for a few years work with him um, and learned an awful lot um, getting hands-on. I mean, the, the language school we were at was one of the very first to have kind of these custom-built um, Mac um, labs for, you know, computer-aided learning. This was, you know, back in 95, 96. So it was really early days, and they had those those beautiful, you know, coloured Macs, and it was all very 
kind of bright and shiny. It looked fantastic. Um, and so I learned a lot. Um, and then he left and I inherited the IT role. That's how it all started. Um, and so as I sort of developed my skill set there, I started taking some Microsoft certs and, and you know, bringing, bringing my uh, on paper skill set up with my practical skill set. Um, and, you know, a lot of teachers, uh, they, they're happy to be teachers, but most of them are fairly entrepreneurial as well. Really? Pretty much every teacher that I ever met had a side hustle that they wanted to be their main hustle. Why, why do you think that is? Um, probably because teaching doesn't pay that well, so they're kind of looking for, a, uh, you know, an economic exit. But also um, teaching's great, but, um, you know, uh, I think people often have a passion project. And so there was a lot of um, teachers who, who I worked with who had these other projects and went on to do, um, to build their own businesses and, it was natural for them to ask me to come and help with them with the IT. So that's that's how it all started. It was fairly organic, um, and then um, I started. I got a couple of um, introductions to businesses that needed regular stuff, and so I started sort of working part time at the school and then part time doing my own thing. Um, uh, I had a, for a short time. I had a. Um, uh, a relief teaching agency, so I was supplying teachers to lots of the other schools in in uh, in Sydney, um, and and then um, yeah, so then it just it developed. So I got to the point where I was weighing up my my choices. I had to make a choice about going full time into my own business, or um, you know, or sticking with with the with the language school. Unfortunately, that I would I'd made the decision to leave, but fortunately I just hit ten years at that school, and um, it was bought out, and I got made redundant. So I got a nice payout. Um, I took a, a nice long European vacation, and 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 came back, and the ducks aligned a little bit. Um, a few a few contacts, a few friends, kind of introduced me to some some opportunities um, in the city, and and it just rolled from so there. Basically, everything just kind of happened for a reason. Yeah, it just worked out. Yeah. I actually read that you've been to 60 countries or something like that. Yeah, that something true? like that. Yep. Yeah. That's a lot of countries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, just after I, I left, I did a history degree uh, at university, so I couldn't be further from IT. Um, that was in London. Yeah, I know. You're a really random person. <laughs> and, and it's also, um, uh, I've never heard that uh, teachers are quite entrepreneurial before, but when you think about it, I mean, a lot, great leadership is really about mentoring others and, and teaching whether or not you're teaching them how to do their role, but you might be teaching them about the company or the purpose or the vision. You might be teaching them about how we impact the world. It's, it's a lot of teaching. Mm. Yeah. You know, so great f- teachers f- could be great leaders. You know? Well, it's also different ways to communicate with people because not everyone learns in the same way. Um, you know, some people are very visual. visual. Some people need to learn by doing. Um, other people can can listen and pick up an idea very very quickly so i I think it's um teachers are extremely adaptable when it comes to comes to that and and quite um intuitive in in general as to how to get their uh information across and so that translates obviously very well into business because you know ultimately you do business with with people that you like rather than you know we all we all do business with brands you know, because we trust them. But, you know, face-to-face, when you sit down with a new opportunity, it's about looking someone in the eye and go, okay, I believe what you're saying. 100%. And that's what it's about. And I think teachers, by definition, have to be good at that. Um, 100% agree. In fact, that's pretty much our mantra at Cub. You're going to help people and you're going to support and and, and work with people that you like. Mm. It's just human nature. Mm. Exactly. And, and brands, you can connect with brands. Business Chicks is actually a great example of a brand that has a strong moral centre and, and vision that will attract certain people. You guys have a great communi- uh, a great, a great brand and, and great form of communicating. Like, I, would, I want to work with you guys. We probably should, actually, because, I mean, I'm sure Tim, we've got an IT guy. He does a lot of our security stuff, but maybe we should connect you to him too um, just sure. to... Happy to have a chat. See, see which one of our team members is going to click on that stupid link. (laughs) (laughs) That would be funny, though. (laughs) Um, And we do have to wrap up, though, because Laura keeps twirling fingers at me. Um, Now, 
uh, you are a motorcyclist, mm. and I noticed your book recommendation was saying about was it, it Zen or, and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. It's <laughs> I a, can it's promise a magic you, book. that's the first time that book's been recommended on this show. What's it about? Uh, it's basically a philosophy book, but it's it's based around uh, a guy who's going through um, a series of events in his life and. Um, and he rides a motorcycle, and and that's an important part of his life. And 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 he talks about how he maintains the bike, and uh, and some of the uh, philosophy around it. So it's quite a, a, a an interesting book. Um, it's a good read. But uh, but I'm I'm uh, I'm a motor motorbike guy. I, I I've traveled around the world on a motorbike back in my twenties. So um, it's it's it. I'd ride a bike every day. I came here on my motorbike. So what um, do you ride? Uh, a Suzuki Beastrom. So, and 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 what what was the I guess the biggest lesson you took from the book? Oh well, when you're doing a service, make sure you're sitting in a comfortable position. That was the most <laughs> important thing because um, when you're taking a motorbike apart, it's um, it's all awkward, and uh, you know so, and and so to translate that into a practical life situation is to make sure that you put yourself in a comfortable position to be able to to do what you do at the best of your ability, whether that's, um, you know, in business or, or in, in life. Um, so I think and, so. and, and what about your greatest lesson in business to date? Greatest lesson in business is you make your own luck. Um, opportunities come along um, and you have to be prepared to take some risk um, and, and to follow those opportunities through through and and sometimes they burn you uh, and that's okay because you know sometimes those are the best lessons when something doesn't go right um, that's when you learn the most I agree Compl- I always say that to the team Rick you are a super cool person and a very 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 cool human being so thank you so much for it I, I reckon you've got the best team in in IT and, and, <laughs> and security honestly I, I kind of want to join it I really fantastic. do I, ca- I can just tell that you would be such a fantastic leader um, and um, so the thank you for today. And, and uh, to our listeners, if you want to find out more about Mr. Rick Williams, uh, you can go to cup.club forward slash podcast and you'll find out more information there. Get in contact with him um, from the website if you want to speak more about cybersecurity or IT server or really just speak more to him. Um, and if you want to catch up with Cub on social, go to at Club United Business on Instagram. It's also awesome there. Rick, thank you so much again. Thanks. Thanks, Daniel. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Hope you enjoy the show.